good. I like the <laughs> Amen. All right, we're going to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 14. We're going to look at our next Baptist distinctives. We did quite a few Sunday nights on individual soul liberty. Hopefully that gave you a little bit of an understanding of the, the depth of that particular doctrine. And uh, separation is no lighter, really. There's just so much in the scripture about separation. Uh, it's amazing. There's so much about it, but it's so little practice today. And uh, it's pretty amazing that way. But I want to look at a couple of different uh, topics in relation to separation as well. Of course, I won't get this done in one evening. I want to look at pre prevalent separation. We're going to look, look at some principles of separation as well. We're going to start with the prevalent separation. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and starting in verse number 14. And it says this, it says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with belief, or what part hath he, hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement of the living God, as God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, and I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Let's pray. Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you would just guide me in this message. And I pray, Lord, that we'd learn something, we'd grow from the topic and from the different things we're going to talk about, and especially from this great passage of Scripture. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, looking at the aspect of prevalent separation, or basically natural separation, there's, uh, in creation, what you're going to find uh, many times and all the time are principles that God in creation set in place to demonstrate to us how we're supposed to live our lives. And if even you go to the, the six days of creation, you'll find that each day represents an aspect of our life. And one of those is separation. And you'll see that uh, when, and I'll go into that right here in just a little bit. Uh, but natural creation tells us about separation, the division of light and darkness. In Genesis 1 verse 3, it says this, And God said, Let there be light, and there was light, and God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. Now, darkness is the absence of light. We know that. God created light. He didn't necessarily have to create darkness, but he created light. And when there's light, there's an absence of darkness, but when there is no light, there is darkness. So the Bible tells you to walk in the light. And when you walk in the light, you're not going to walk in darkness. So there is no in-between there. Uh, the Bible is very clear about that. So uh, God called the light good, and then he also divided the light from the darkness because darkness and light are two different realms. They, they don't coexist. They're on different sides of the spectrum here. Of course, we're not saying that nighttime is bad necessarily, but it represents some things in creation. Uh, many times it represents, darkness represents ignorance. It's, it talks about being ignorant of the truth. Uh, darkness represents lies, you know, in the scripture. And you see these things over and over again. You also see the aspect of the division of the firmament in verse number 6 of Genesis chapter 1. It says, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament 
and divide the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. Also, a little later on, you'll find that God divided languages. And you see that in Genesis chapter 11 in the Tower of Babel. That was God's doing that did that. Uh, so you see that when man tried to, to, to unify everything together in one, and that's what the problem is today. Uh, you say, what is your doctrine in relation to globalism? Well, I'm not for globalism. Because globalism is nothing more than the Tower of Babel. We're just repeating our same mistake. And uh, <clears throat> that's really what's happening. And the one thing is their, their, their aspect of unification and globalism doesn't put God in the forefront. It, there's going to be a false God there. It's not going to be the real God of heaven. Just like the Tower of Babel is the same thing. When man unites themselves, God's not at the forefront. There's some false God there. When God unites us, then he's at the forefront. And so we need to understand that. Uh, you know, our... our uh, Fellowship together, our coming together with people, situations, they have to be dictated by God. You cannot decide for yourself. You can't say, well, I'm going to go be with these people. You should be with those people if God says you should. Because he's the one that determines who you should fellowship with. Okay? And there's principles that he's given us in order to understand who we do or who we not. Now, the world isn't very keen on that kind of doctrine today. Uh, they, they call it intolerance. You know, you're intolerant. But they're very intolerant of us, by the way. <laughs> you know, they got no tolerance towards us. So the division of languages. In Psalm 55, verse 9, it says, Destroy, O Lord, and divide their tongues, for I've seen violence and strife in the city. And so what the dividing of tongues did, it caused confusion, and it caused them to separate. So it was a good thing. God, God accomplished what he wanted to do by actually confusing the languages and he made certain people speak certain languages and certain people speak other languages and they congregated within their language. That's a normal thing, you know? And that's when they dissipated, they went to all parts of the earth because that's what the Bible wanted from the beginning, that they were to go forth and replenish the earth, not pull all together in one city. Uh, God's not for that kind of thing. It's amazing that when you find cities in the, in the, on the earth, that's where most of the sin is going to be found wickedness and all kinds of ungodliness in cities. It's harder to have those things in a small town than it is in cities. And so God knew that. He knew that we put our minds together and we get ourselves all together like that. We just come up with some real bad solutions and bad things happen. Amen? Now, if some of you live in the city, say, am I bad? No, you're not. You know, because even some of the prophets lived in the city to reach the city. Amen? And you're not there trying to make a babble, are you? Amen? Uh, division of the races in Genesis 10, verse 32. These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations and their nations. By these were the nations divided in the earth after the flood. And so we see that even today. Uh, you see the division of, of races, or I guess races is a bad term, maybe nations. And you see them based upon these three fellas, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Uh, you see that, that Ham went to the south, into Africa, you see that Japheth, of course, went into Europe. That's the Caucasian race. And then you have Shem, which is more the, uh, the Oriental race and so forth. And so uh, that, that's interesting how that all works. But they kind of con congregated with their own people. That's the way it worked. So there's division there. Uh, number five is division of the Red Sea and the Jordan River. 
Uh, you see that he divided there in Exodus 14, 5. And the Lord said unto Moses, Wherefore Christ thou unto me, speak unto the children of Israel, that they go forward. Uh, but lift up thy rod, and stretch out thine hand over the sea, and divide it, and the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. Um, next thing I want to talk about is that God always separates his people from the world. And so you see that right from the beginning, he never wanted his people to be fellowshipping with the world, all right? That was even back to Abraham. Abraham was in the Ur of Chaldees. He lived among the people that would worship the moon and the false gods and so forth. Like He lived basically with the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were the Babylonians. The Babylonians would, would become those that actually began idol worship. It began over there in that area, and that's where Abraham was from. And so when God called Abraham, he says, come out from among them. He says, you got you to separate. If, if you want me to use you, then you've got to come out from those people, all right? And so to think that we don't have to separate to be used of God is just foolish. It's, it's a very important aspect of even ministry and service to the Lord. And that's why uh, good Baptist churches throughout the centuries have learned the doctrine of separation. And, and it costs them to separate. And so there is a physical separation of people. They separated from Egypt. Um, you know, and the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. Lo, he cometh forth to the water and saith unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. So in other words, they can't serve me the way I want them to if they are with you. I have to bring them apart. And that's the whole reason why he created the land of Israel. That's why he uh, put those boundaries in place. And that's why he wanted them to be a nation. Now we know that today as a church, we're not operating on that same national principle anymore. We're called a great nation. We're called a nation. But it's not a nation that's determined by physical land boundaries. Uh, now we're simply determined by principle boundaries. That's how we live our lives. And, and, and not only that those principal boundaries exist within a local assembly. And that's why the attack today is so much on the church. If you don't have a sound Bible-preaching church to go to, you're going to have very loose principal boundaries guiding your life. Because this is where we get together, we learn it, and we establish those. And, and the, they're not just established for this room. While you're in this room, folks, you better behave yourself. No, no. Uh, the house of God is more than just these walls. In fact, if you look at our text, he says, you are the temple of God. Amen. For I said, I will walk in them. So he's not talking about walking in a building. He's talking about walking in you. And so wherever you are and wherever we are as Energy Baptist Church, you have an obligation to be separate from the world and to uphold these principles that we're supposed to hold to. Amen. That's what makes you different. That's what makes you able to serve God and to be effective in reaching this world for Christ. If you don't, you lose your power. You can pretend like you're serving God, but you're really not serving God. And that's why today the, the churches have really become anemic. Uh, you know, folks, there's the missions today within some of the modern uh, uh, situations, like they have no separation standards. You can smoke cigarettes, you can drink alcohol, uh, you can do whatever you want. You know, as long as you love souls, <laughs> you know, folks, I'm sorry. That is not how God works. He wants you to be a clean vessel, not a dirty vessel. 
And you've got to give them an example of what a Christian ought to be like. Amen? Not just an action and what you do, but an attitude and heart. All kinds of different things that we need to be, you know. And that's going to take a, a real uh, separa- separation on our part. So separation from Egypt, the land, but also separate from Egyptians, from the people of Egypt. And in verse number 17 of chapter 14 of Exodus, it says, I behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians, and they shall follow them, and I will get me honor upon Pharaoh and upon all his hosts, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I've gotten me honor upon Pharaoh, upon his chariots and upon his horsemen, and the angel of God, which went before the camp of Israel, removed and went behind them, and a pillar of cloud went from before their face and stood behind them. And it came between the camp of the Egyptians and the camp of Israel. And it was a cloud and darkness to them, but it gave light by night to these, so that the one came not near the other all the night. And Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night, and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And so that's interesting. He, he created a barrier, not just between the land of Egypt, because they were already out of the land of Egypt. Now he created a barrier between the Egyptians and the Israelites. He says, I don't want them coming close to you. I don't want you going close to them. And so the Lord wants that for you as well. You need to make a decision that I'm going to have some separation standards in my life to keep me separate from this world and the things that will hurt me. Because these Egyptians weren't there to sit around the fire and sing Kumbaya. They They wanted to enslave them. And as much as you think this world is your friend, it's not. The Bible says if you live the way the Christian ought to live, this world will hate you. And if this world loves you, then obviously you're not walking according to the principles of the scripture because they will hate you the moment you say Jesus is the only way. It's interesting. We got uh, football going on today, right? The big football game and so forth. A lot of these guys, I give them credit. You know, some of them, you know, they become very bold in their faith publicly. But it's interesting when they try to speak their faith out into the media of the world, how the media reacts to that. All of a sudden, they got glitches in their cameras, and they got glitches in their audio, and all of a sudden, no, I got this interview, and they cut out all the parts that they talked about Jesus. It's amazing. You know, they separate from Jesus. Why are we, why are we holding hands with them? You know, they don't want Jesus in their life. And it's, it's an amazing thing when God's people want to spend time with people that don't want Jesus in their life. It ought not be. And the only time you ought to do that is when they're seeking for the truth and you're there to give them the gospel. But this fellowship that you have, it's not right. You can't have fellowship in darkness. You always bring them to the light. Bring them to church, you know. Bring them into the light. Bring them into the truth so that God can help them. But you sitting around their barbecue and having fun isn't going to help them. You're not winning them. Well, I'm going to show them how good I am. And you're not good because you're violating a principle. You're violating a principle. So you're not so good, <laughs> you know? Well, they, they'll think I'm mean. I'll tell you something. You'll be a lot more effective following God's word than you will going according to your plan. That's just the way it is. Now, it may not make sense to you, but that's just the way it is. Because people, they know that. Ultimately, when these people know that they want the truth, they're not going to go to the one that was hobnobbing with them. They're going to go with the one that they saw stuck by the stuff. 
and they didn't turn right nor to the left. They'll say, that one has the answer. And so these people that put all this energy into winning someone by going into the darkness are left behind by the very people you're trying to reach. And then you feel all jealous. Oh, why is this person? Well, it's because you violated principle, you know? When people want the truth, they'll go to the people with the truth, <laughs> you know, not those that just, you know, buddied up to them because they're, they're fighting for their souls here. <laughs> they're not looking for a pat on the back at that point, amen? And so uh, the separation and judgment as well, we see that in the scripture, the righteous from the wicked. Uh, this is one of the big erroneous doctrines out there is a general judgment. Everybody's just going to be judged at the same time. That's not true. There's two different judgments. There's judgment of the saved, there's judgment of the lost. In 2 Peter 2, 4, it says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah and the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the, the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man, that's how God is describing Lot. He was just and he was righteous. Now, if it were to be up to me, I wouldn't call him those words. I'd say, you're a scoundrel, man. You should have stayed with Abraham or you should have gone a different way. Why are you sitting there in Sodom with all these people that are wicked? But God looks on people differently, doesn't he? And when he judged Sodom, he didn't judge Lot with Sodom. He separated them from Sodom. And that's where you got to be careful of some of these doctrines that these people are peddling to you. They're trying to bring the judgment of the righteous in with the judgment of the unrighteous. And God never does that. It's always separate. It says, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. He knows how to do that. He knows how to save the righteous. He knows how to separate the righteous and he knows how to judge the wicked. Uh, you remember even the parable of the, the wheat and the tares. It's, well, should we go in and, and rip out all the tares, Master? And Master says, no, 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 because if you do that, you might uproot some wheat at the same time. So I don't want you to do that. I want you to wait till the end, and I will sort it out. Yeah. I'll sort it out, because I'll judge them both separately. Amen? But we always want to, let's go in there. <laughs> and that's how, that's how Christians get hurt. You know, we, we, we put them into the same barrel with the, with the tares, you know. Only the Lord knows how to discern that. The church is separated from the tribulation period and hell. In 1 Thessalonians 1.9 it says, For they themselves show of us what mannering of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Notice that's an act of separation right there. They turned from their idols to serve the living and true God. That's a sign that a person is truly saved. You can't say and go back to your old idols and say, well, I've received Jesus. I'm just going to keep on doing this for a while. No, sir, if you get saved, you're going to leave those idols. You're going to serve the living and true God. Amen. And it says, and to wait for his son from heaven, 
whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. We are already delivered. That's past tense. We've been delivered from all wrath. That's a wonderful thing. That's talking about the tribulation period. That's also talking about the wrath of hell forever. We're delivered from that. And so the Lord knows how to separate. Amen. He divides. He told, showed us that right from creation uh, with natural separation. Uh, you know, the worst thing we can do as Christians is make a, very little of separation in our life. We have to do that because of the sin in the world. We have to do that because our children are being hurt. That's why I preach things and warn you about things. And, you know, and you, you, sometimes you have a hard time seeing what I'm saying because you say, well, what's the big deal? That's why I warn you about some of the school systems that are out there. And it's not always the public school. I wouldn't send my kids to these Christian schools. They're, they're, they're lining up your kids and listen, making them listen to rock music. In Jesus' name. I mean, what's worse than that? I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't subject my children to that. I'm sorry, just because they have some kind of a Bible. And by the way, they don't have the right Bible. And, you know, they say, well, you can use your Bible, but... Folks, they're not teaching with, with that Bible. They're teaching with a Bible that's wrong. There's error in that Bible. And it won't be long and your child will be picking up that Bible. That's how it works. That's how it works when error creeps in and there's not separation. If you don't separate from these things, you will be tainted. You will be touched by it. And we are called to protect our families. And I know that's not popular. and People hate me for these kind of things, you know. But I've got to tell you because... If you don't, you are going to pay the price. And my words will echo in your ears. Amen? Be careful. The principle of separation, the world is not your friend. And churches that have allowed the world in, that's not your friend either. Be very careful. I appreciate lately we have several people coming to our church because they say, you know, where we were, the world was coming in. We're, we're separating from that. That, that's an honorable move. That's an honorable decision to make. The Lord is pleased with those kind of things. Amen? The second thing I want to talk about today is the aspect of principle separation. So there's principles in the scripture. So not just prevalent or natural that we see in the scriptures and laid out clearly that way. But there's principles, separation of the lost. Now, I, I want to reach the lost as much as anybody, but there's principles within that reaching out that we cannot break, we cannot violate if we want to reach people. Amen? Uh, separation, reconciliation, consecration towards the Lord. Uh, John 3.36 says, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son hath not, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So there's basically two groups of people on this planet there are those that have been freed and delivered from the wrath to come. There are those that have the wrath already abiding on them. Some of them, uh, be, maybe because they haven't heard yet. Uh, some of them because they've rejected the gospel. Whatever it is, you know, why it is doesn't really matter. If they die in their sin, that's, that's what's going to happen. And so there's that separation. You are those that have been delivered from wrath. And then there are those that have wrath abiding on them already. And so there's a spiritual separation from God that has taken place for all of us when we were lost. Death was pronounced upon Adam for his transgression. We see that in Genesis 2.16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, 
thou shalt surely die. Now we know that he didn't fall over and have a heart attack the moment Adam ate that fruit, whatever type it was, apple, grape, whatever you wanted to, you know, sometimes they ate the apple. We don't know it's an apple, amen? I know that, but it still slips out every now and then. I just say the apple. All the pictures you get, you know, in the books and so forth. <laughs> Influence, I should have separated. <laughs> Thou shalt truly die. Dying means separation. When you die physically, you're just simply separated from the physical. You don't just cease to exist. It's not a soul sleep. It's not where your consciousness goes blank. I mean, you will continue on. You, your consciousness continues even though you die physically. The only thing is you're separated from the physical. That's physical death. But what we're talking about is a spiritual separation from God. We're talking about a spiritual death. Now that we're experiencing even in our physical life. Many people have spiritual death while we have physical life. Many people walk around with breath in their body and their bodies are moving and they're doing all kinds of things and yet they are dead in the eyes of God. And that's the way Adam was. The moment he ate of that fruit, whatever it was, amen? The moment he ate of it, he separated himself from God. Death through Adam was passed upon all men through that transgression as well. And that's why in Romans 5.12 it says, Wherefore is by one man... Sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For, un, for, until the law sin, uh, for unto the law sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to come. That means... You don't have to do what Adam did to experience that death. It was passed down to you. as his gift to you, all right? And you were born that way, and your children that you will have will experience that same thing. But praise God, we have a God that loves each and every person that has ever been born, and he's not just willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I think God did whatever he possibly could to bring someone from a lost position to a saved position. And if a person is lost and they stay lost and they go to hell lost, it's not because God didn't do what he would have said he would have done. He's given us all the instruction in the scripture. He's telling us exactly what, you know, no matter who you are, there's, he, he put a thumbprint on your soul and you can make that decision about what you want in life. You know, if we would have been left to ourselves in our, in our depraved state, you wouldn't even been able to make that choice. But because he elevated you, uh, you weren't born as bad as you were. <laughs> you, you weren't born as bad as you could be. He gave you the ability to understand. He gave you the ability to understand the gospel. But do you imagine, look at Romans chapter 1, where it talks about, you know, someone that is giving glory to the, changing the glory of God into the glory of the cursed creation. <laughs> those other words, and the Bible says that those people automatically, they, they are given over to reprobate mind. What's reprobate mind? A reprobate mind is what every one of you would have had if God wouldn't have put his thumbprint on your soul. You would have been born with a reprobate mind. You would have been born. There's none that seeketh after God. No, not one. We, we wouldn't have cared. The Romans chapter 3 is giving us an insight into our true nature without God. <laughs> you know, there was poison of asp on our lips. I mean, you were just so bad, so bad. <laughs> so when you were born... Don't give yourself credit for how good you are because it really isn't you. It's because God gave you the window to the soul. He gave you the ability to know right from wrong. And that's because he, did, he was not 
he was not wanting to leave you with a reprobate mind for your whole life. He wants you to be saved. But he wasn't going to make the choice for you. So we're not Calvinists here. You have to make a choice. But what God did is he gave you the ability to make the choice. He gave you the ability to perceive the choice that you need to make. Everybody has that. I don't care where they're born in this world. The excuse is, well, the jungle and this and that. How about them? Oh, God's just going to let them in just by default. No. It has everything to do with how they react to the light they've already been given. He lighteth every man that cometh into the world. You have to, you have to respond to the light that you have. So whether you're in the jungle, wherever you were born, you have enough light for God to answer back to your answer. So if you in your heart say, I know this Beelzebub, I know this Satan, this one that my tribe has been worshiping, I know this isn't right. My conscience is telling me this is wrong. The murder, the, the abuse, the whatever they're doing. And, and in your heart, who are you? God says, see, right there. And right there he aims at you. He says, hey, now you've acted on the light and I'm going to give you more light. That's God's responsibility. For the grace that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, the Bible says. Folks, I'm, I'm just far more concerned about the people I meet right here down the street. And I knock on the door and they have churches all around them. <laughs> they got family members that have been praying for them. They got Bibles that have been given to them. They, they've had Bible verses been read to them and yet they're still, I don't need your religion. <laughs> like, what is that all about? Well, that's taking that light that you've been given and pushing, I don't want it. And the Bible says that this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light. That's what will condemn their soul right there. You know, we still have the responsibility to go. We have to go. And even these ones that have become reprobate, we have to tell them. Even Jesus should one. Spiritual reconciliation. Romans 5.1, it says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So this is what we've been talking about in Romans, this aspect of justification. Being declared righteous by God, which is this unbelievable, powerful, miraculous truth that a sinner separated from God can now stand righteously before God. That, my friend, is just an awesome thought. That's just, I, I just can't get over the fact that I can stand righteously before God being a sinner condemned to death. But now I stand perfect before my God. It's an amazing thing. In Exodus 2.23 about Israel, it says, And it came to pass in the process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by the reason of bondage. And they cried, and their cry came up unto God by the reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. Why would he respect these whiners, <laughs> you know? Why would he respect these people? They didn't believe in him. I mean, the, their cry came up unto God. Isn't that something that they didn't know God? They weren't even crying to God. Think about this for a second. Their cry came up before God, but they didn't even have a God to cry to. And some of them maybe even worshipped idols. Who knows? But because of the covenant, 
Because of the promise. When God heard the cry of those people, he paid attention because of a promise that he had made. Amen? Not because of them. He said, oh, okay, I made a promise through Abraham to these people, and I've got to follow through. Isn't that something? Maybe we put way too much on ourselves when it comes to our positional standing before the Lord. It's all promise, my friend. You know, the, the doctrine of perseverance of the saints and the Calvinist doctrine, one of the five tulips, uh, you know, the last one, the P, perseverance. My goodness, man, it's not perseverance, it's preservation. Preservation. So these people, they're walking around in this Calvinist doctrine that, oh, I'm a part of the elect because I'm persevering. But my question is, what about when you're not persevering? What about when you're like Israel, in bondage and crying out and not knowing what in the world's going on? What is it that got God's attention? Was it their perseverance? No, it wasn't. It was their preservation. It was the promise. It was based on the promise that he had made. Amen? If you're going to heaven one day, it's not because you persevered. Now, you may persevere because you're a Christian. And you may continue on because you're a Christian. But he's not saving you because you persevered. He, he's saving you because of a promise that he made to you. Amen? And he's not going to back out on it. You watch these false teachers and their ungodly speeches and the things they say to you. I don't care how good they look. I don't care what churches they belong to. Whether they call a Baptist or Mennonite or I don't care, folks. When it comes to false teaching that's wicked and ungodly, that attacks the very heart of our God. And a lot of these things that people are saying today, they don't even understand what they're saying in relation to the promises of God. They're actually attacking the character of our God. They're putting it back on you again. Never. These Israelites were there. They sighed by reason of the bondage and they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. Wow. It's not like, oh dear Jehovah. They didn't even know his name. Yeah. Moses didn't even know his name. God had to tell Moses, hey, Abraham knew me by my name El Shaddai or the Almighty. He says, but you guys, you're going to know me by Jehovah, the I am. You're going to know that I am behind everything. You're going to know that I'm behind everything that you got, the air that you breathe, the food that you eat, the protection you have. You're going to learn Jehovah, not just the Almighty. Amen. They didn't even know him. They didn't know God like we do. We got far more information about God today than the children of Israel did back then. Boy, we got a lot of responsibility because of that too. Amen. Exodus 3, 7, the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. And I'm come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good land and a large and to a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. And I've also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. You know who that is, right? You know the typology there? He's talking to his son. He's saying, my son, go get him. And Jesus came. He came to us. Out of heaven took upon himself the form of man, 
Because the father said, go get him, son. Go bring him out. Go bring him out of the darkness. Oh, Galatians talks about how he came to deliver us from this present evil world. It's not even just about the future, and it's not just about going to heaven one day. He says, I don't want you to be in that wickedness right now. I don't want you in that darkness and filth. I want to pull you out of there today. That's Christ's heart for you, amen? We're justified through Christ. Romans 5, 17, for by one man's offense, death reigned by one much more. They which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ, by him alone. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, that's Adam in the garden, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. These people are out there saying, well, if you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this. The Bible says that the free gift has come upon me by the righteousness of one. One person. And that's Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is right, I got the free gift of salvation. Amen. John 5, 24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. You talk about separation. He separated you from death. Those of you that are saved here tonight, you've already crossed over that abyss. You've crossed over that divide. You've moved from death to life, from darkness to light. You're now in the kingdom of light. You've been removed from the power of Satan's kingdom. Amen. So now he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you need to Become a living sacrifice. You need to be consecrated. You need to be devoted. You need to be dedicated. This passage is written to, to Christians that, hey, now I've saved you. You've got the free gift. You've been, you've been set apart positionally from death unto life, from uh, darkness to the light. Now what I want you to do is I want you to make that practical. I want you to renew this thing right up here. That's where the principles come in. Those are the principles of separation. Now you're either going to say, well, I don't want that and I'm happy the way I am. Or you can say, you know what? If God said that's the, the, the pattern I'm supposed to follow, since he sent his son to remove me from Egypt, remove me from the darkness, remove me from the condemnation, and bring me into life, then I want to remove my heart and my mind and every thought that I have into the light as well. You know, you've been placed in Christ positionally. <laughs> but a lot of people, they don't even know they're in Christ. It's, it's funny, you know, the Lord sees you in Christ and you're born again and you're on your way to heaven. He sees you exactly like his son. But we're down here belly aching about all the stuff that's wrong with us. So we are in Christ, but it seems like our mind hasn't made it yet. <laughs> and practically, that's true. Practically, your mind must be placed in Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. That takes effort on your part. It takes a decision on your part to actually 
take your mind and remove the darkness from it and bring light into it and live your life by principle. And when you do that, you also start thinking in Christ too. And the thing is, you have the potential to do that. There's no such thing as, well, I just can't, or that's too hard, or I don't know how. Well, that's why you're here. You're listening up tonight. You're not falling asleep. Those who are sleeping, wake up. <laughs> I just woke you up, didn't I? Oop, catch myself. <laughs> you think I can't see? I got a pretty good view up here. I can see everybody snoring back there. <laughs> God is light. God is light. This then is the message that we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and him is no darkness at all. This means that God is truth. He's holy. He's always righteous. And the Bible says that believers should reflect that light. In Matthew chapter 5, 14, it says, Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So this is a part of the separation process. If you don't get this, you're not going to care about separation. If you don't get the fact that God is light, in him is no darkness. If you don't get the fact that you are left here to be a reflection of that light to the lost. If you don't get that, you won't care about separation. Because you won't really care. You'll, you'll be satisfied just talking about Jesus every now and then. Having a good conversation with your friends at coffee, talking about Jesus. Isn't this great? That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about living a life where you make an impact on people. Because what you're reflecting isn't something you drummed up in your intellect and your ability. It's something that's supernatural that came from heaven and is flowing through you to other people. That's light. Amen? That light is more than just knowledge. It's more than just uh, saying some things. It's a, it's a spirit about you. It's a powerful thing when you have light in your life. The words that a person says in the light are far different than the words that a person says that doesn't have the light. You can say the same things and do the same things. <laughs> in fact, that's what it says here. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. Yep. Isn't it amazing you have two people doing the same good works and one person their works are seen, the other one aren't seen. Why is it that they aren't seen? Because you're not a light. But when you have a light, the things that you do are seen because God is directing them. But if you're like all into, well, this is what I want people to glorify me. I want people to pat me on the back. Well, then you're not doing it in the light. Then you're, it's actually getting worse because the more you want that, the less people see you. <laughs> But the more you die to self and say, it doesn't matter what people think about me. It doesn't matter what I want. It doesn't matter what, you know, for the pat on the back. I just simply want to glorify Christ. That's when the light becomes very bright. And all of a sudden, all those works are exposed. Because he knows you're not going to take credit. He knows you're not going to say, this is about me, <laughs> you know. That light is very important. That's why he doesn't just, just uh, function on the aspect of you doing works. There's works, but there's also light. And that light isn't something you can fabricate or fake. That is something that's supernatural, that God works in your heart and through you because he is light and him is no darkness at all. And a part of that aspect of light is the fact that he is light, complete light. And he is funneling that through your life. 
And you're walking in that light. Amen? So it's a spirit about you. It's, it's, it's your attitude towards things. You're not a bitter person. You're not a critical person. You're not always slamming people. You're not, if you're like that, it doesn't matter how busy you get in the house of God, your works are going to die. They're going to be fruitless. Amen? So we need to reflect that light. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 17, Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. As he is, not as he was, but as he is. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, let's act like Jesus acted when he was here. No, he says, let's act like Jesus acted where he is right now. Where he is. What he is is what we are. How does that work? Well, that's exactly what I've been telling you. He doesn't reflect light from the past to the present. <laughs> he reflects light from where he is right now through your life. Amen? So as he is, so are we. Amen? Is that what you want? Is that how you want God to use you in your life? That's how he wants to use you. That's all a part of the, the doctrine of separation. You know? We make it just a matter of, oh, he's telling us how to dress. He's telling us how to do this. You know, and you make it, you cheapen it so much sometimes as God's people. We do. We cheapen it. Not realizing that it's, it's fundamental. It's fundamental to be used by God to separate from the darkness. It's something that's been illustrated throughout the scriptures. And even in creation week, he showed it to us. And here we say, oh, it's not that important. Like, <laughs> come on, man. Like I said this morning, I won't slap you, but I'll tell somebody else to. Amen? I don't want to get in trouble. Let them get in trouble. No. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship with God. That's a part of it. If you're not in fellowship with God, 1 John 1, 6 and 7 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanseth us from all sin. So this doesn't mean that you're a perfect person. It doesn't mean that you got everything figured out. When you're walking in the light, all you're doing is walking in a, in a state of agreement with God. That's what it is. You're not bucking him. The principles that have been brought into your perception through the preaching, through your Bible reading, you just said, yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah, I believe that, God. I, I'm, in, I'm in tune with that. And then you act on it. That's walking in the light. The moment you see a principle, you say, oh, well, I'm not going to do that. Now you just entered the darkness. You've got to follow all the principles. And some of them are hard. Some of them are tough to follow. <laughs> they have a cost to them, you know. And the Bible says that if you walk in that light, he says the blood of his son cleanseth you. That means you're, you're in a constant cleansing state where God is actually cleansing your heart day after day after day. But the moment you say, no, God, I can't do that, the cleansing stops. Isn't that something? And even sometimes the things that he has cleansed, they get reaffirmed again. We start going back to what we used to be. See, that's why I say you can't just be stagnant in the Christian life. You're, not, you're never just staying in one spot. You're either in a state of being cleansed daily or you're in a state of being dirty daily. Never are you the same. Amen? You're different today than you were tomorrow, yesterday. Yeah. And last year. 
So you got to ask yourself, am I walking in the light? Is the Lord showing me the sins that are causing me problems, showing me the weights that I'm carrying that I ought to be shedding in my life? Has he been speaking to my heart through the preaching, through my Bibles, through my devotions, whatever it is? Has he been convicting me and, and telling me to change? Well, if you haven't changed, you haven't had God tell you you're going to change, that you need to change, folks, there's something wrong here. Because you are in a constant change program <laughs> till Jesus comes. You're going to change till Jesus comes. Nobody in this room has arrived. Nobody here is super spiritual that, you know, we've hit, hit this sinless perfection state. No matter what the Methodists say, you know, it's just not true. It's a constant sanctification that takes place. Walking in the light is just simply walking according to the word of God. Um, Isaiah 8, 18, it says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me. Um, wow, I got some problems with my, let me go there, Exodus. No, that's not Exodus, that's Isaiah, sorry. Isaiah, I'm going to go to chapter 8. It says, Behold, I and the children whom the Lord hath given me are for signs and for wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts which dwelleth in Mount Sion. And when they say unto you, Seek unto them that have familiar spirits, and unto wizards that peep, or that mutter, should not a people seek unto their God, for the living to the dead, to the law and to the testimony? If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Be careful. You know, it's amazing. Don't ever, you know, you want to know what the horoscopes say about you today? You just don't even open that. That is not the word of God. Now, I understand. Sometimes you go to the Chinese restaurant, you get the fortune cookies. I sure hope you're not opening up that thing to find out what your good luck is all about. <laughs> Have you ever learned that what you say is you always add in the bathroom after that? Is that yours, brother? I don't know who came up with that, but man, that's brilliant. Because when you do that, it is just very, it, well, sometimes it's scary. <laughs> <but> <laughs> You will have good fortune in the bathroom. <laughs> Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Second Peter 1.19, we also have a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye dwell, do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, unto the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. So it says, keep looking to the word of God. It's a sure word. Take heed to it, as unto a light that is shining in a dark place until the day dawn. That means until you get it, until the light goes on, until you got it figured out and you say, hey, I know what to do. That's how long you stay in the word of God over everything you do. I just don't know what to do, God. Flop and drop. Oh, well, that didn't work. I guess I'll do what I want to do. No, till the day star arise in your heart till you get the inspiration of the scripture into your heart. 
until he enlightens your understanding by the Holy Spirit of God. You have to ask him for that. Lord, give me the understanding what I need to do in this situation with my family, with my friends, with my job, with the church or whatever. <laughs> Go to the scripture. Don't let it be. So some people choose a church, man, like they choose ice cream or something. You know? Well, I like that flavor. Well, I like that flavor. That's not how you choose a church. Sometimes, you know, having a, eating that ice cream it can be pretty sour. <laughs> now, I sure don't like that preaching so hard. You know, that may be just exactly what you need. So it's not always ice cream. <laughs> it's not always sugar, <laughs> you know. Sometimes you just need to choose the right thing, and that's where you got to wait until the day star rises in your heart. Till God puts a light on you. You know what's right for you and your family. I mean, sure, you want to keep your kids just kind of floating through life, you know, where nothing touches them. But man, they need to come to reality about the truth of things. Amen? Sometimes it's not easy. Anyways. The blessing of the Levites in the scripture, they received a continual place of service to God in the temple. That was their blessing. Some didn't consecrate themselves and did not receive the blessings of God. The Levites that followed God's word as given by God's man and separated from the ones walking in darkness, they were blessed. Just because you've been delivered from Egypt does not mean you're living in the land of promise, which is God's will. And so that's a part of your responsibility. That's going to be a lot to do with separation. It's going to be a lot to do with what you do with what's going on in this world and how you're going to approach yourself to it. So even though one is reconciled, set apart from darkness and judgment, it's one choice whether to physically consecrate oneself to God's purpose and service. This service can only be accomplished as one allows the natural separation of light and darkness to take place. For a Christian to walk in darkness is unnatural, and it's against God's purposes. This will render the believer useless for service. So I just want to get this across before I go any further in relation to separation. There's a reason for this. There's a reason for this. It's called being profitable. It's called being used by God. Your attitude towards the doctrine of separation has everything to do with how you're going to go forward for the Lord in serving him. Now you can probably find a place, I'm going to serve God here, and yet you're still doing the things that you ought not be doing. And you know what? Your works will not be seen. Then you're going to get mad. Well, why are they always getting the credit? It's because you're not in the light. You're not in the light. You want people to pat you on the back. That's not why we're here. The John the Baptist had the right attitude. He says, I must decrease so that he may increase. That has to become the philosophy of your life. Amen? And if not, all your service will just be about you. <laughs> and that's really unprofitable for you. I mean, then you're better off watching the football game tonight. Amen. I'm glad you're here, by the way. You didn't stay home to watch a football game. <laughs> Some people do. They skip church for things like that. Our boys are joking. Yeah, are you going to call off church tonight? <laughs> uh, no. Never done it. Never will. You know, I've never missed church for a hockey game, baseball game, or anything else. And you ought not either. There's really nothing that important that you should miss out on the word of God. Really not. Amen. 
I mean, sometimes you're just sick and sometimes you got to stay home and you need your rest. I understand that. I'm not you know, getting at everybody over that, but I'm saying it's all about your value system. What is you value the most? Amen. Do you need this tonight? And not just me, not just what I'm saying. I mean, the word of God. I mean, the, the people of God beside you. Are you taking your, up your responsibility to help somebody tonight? You're here to provoke unto love and to good works. You're here to help people and to be a good encouragement. Please don't hurt them. Amen. Amen. You're here to be a blessing. That's a part of your purpose here. So you have that opportunity tonight. And Wednesday night, you have the same opportunity. You can come and be a blessing to a bunch of people. We talk about serving God. We talk about wanting to be used by God. And then we're not in the place where God can use us. Amen. Well, I got other things to do. But I sure love Jesus. (laughs) You really need to think about that.